This is an APTA podcast. Welcome to APTA Podcast. I'm Amelia Sullivan. In this episode, you'll hear an interview conducted at APTA's next conference and exposition in June 2019. You can find more of these on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. We're back at Next 2019 in Chicago, and I have the pleasure of being joined by Tom McPoyle, who just finished delivering the 50th Mary McMillan Lecture. So first of all, congratulations. Thank you so much. It was a tremendous honor. You had family there. Uh, you obviously stressed over this, I'm sure, uh, leading <laughs> up to it. You talked about a lot of things. You, you first started by noting that there's so many things that have been amazing in the profession, ways it's advanced, from direct access to just sort of not being so under the thumb, basically, of physician referral and, and being able to be more autonomous. Uh, that's a short version of your list. But then you really spent most of the time talking about the concerns you have. And, and that's what I want to spend most of the time on today. Okay. Um, the, the, I'm going to summarize the first concern, which is basically just, it still takes too gosh darn long to get the evidence into practice and into practice consistently. Does that sound right? I think, it, that, I think that's a great way to summarize that. And I think part of that is just because of the is that article by Antman, and Antman is a cardiologist. Mm -hmm. And so what he was saying is, even in other fields of medicine um, and, and rehabilitation, uh, the time that it takes, just beca because when people become comfortable with something, it is difficult to change. Yeah. And so I think that's the, um, the, the, the probably the take home message is to, to, to keep at it and to keep trying to you know, get the information out so that people really do understand what the current best evidence is really saying. And I think that's where clinical practice guidelines can really be of help, mm -hmm. is to really, I've had so many clinicians come up and, and talk to myself and some of the colleagues that, that were with me when we wrote the first clinical practice guideline for, the, for chronic plantar heel pain, and they say that. You know, what I love that is it's a great synopsis. Mm -hmm. And most of those clinical practice guidelines, they're required to be updated every five years, so it's a great way to help I think that's one avenue that APTA and the uh, different academies have used to try to help enhance that. And have greater confidence. So then the next point you talked about, though, was this, this scholarly oblivion concept. And first, explain that. Well, it's interesting. And uh, Hafeli, the, uh, the author that I noted, is actually an art history. And she was actually making the comment. She, she wrote the paper and, and was saying that... Um, this is a problem in art history is that, that, that people come out with, say, a different, a, a certain type of uh, art style or sculpture style and will say, this is sort of my style, but yet she being an art historian would say, wait a minute, so-and-so uh, did this several years ago. And so when I, when I read that, I thought of, and I tried to really, I think I emphasized a little bit because, you know, I must have quoted, I think I quoted at least seven Macmillan lectures in my right. talk. And the reason I did that, and also two presidential addresses, and the reason I did that was just to help people understand that, hey, historically, we have a lot of great information out there. And what we can't afford is the, uh, we can't afford to forget that yeah. and forget the contributions um, I was very sincere. I mean, I think when you're, I, everybody I've talked to that's been um, fortunate enough to receive this honor, the first thing they say is they go back and they read all the lectures. And I probably had read, I, well, I was either at or had read half of them. So there were some earlier ones that I went back to. And, um, and I think when you, when, you, when you read those, you go, good golly. You know, some of these points that they're making 20 years ago are still very, very important and valid today. So I think that's the concept of scholarly of oblivion, is not allowing those past scholarly activities uh, to be lost. Because then the institution of physical therapy, then you worry about you know, almost an, an, uh, an oblivion of that knowledge. And that doesn't help us. 
Yeah, so I want to put those, I don't want to suggest that the first concept and the second concept are opposed because they're not, but I want to talk about them a little bit. And apologies to you and to physical therapists everywhere if this is a stupid question, but <laughs> on the one hand, it seems like the, the, there's this desire for the recent latest best evidence, which can cause us to stop thinking about the older stuff. Right. So what's the process by doing that? What's the process by being confident that the older stuff is still good, right? Right. While still appreciating and being willing to accept the newer stuff. How do we do that culturally? Well, I mean, I think that's, and I, I think you bring up a really, really important point, and especially too now with um, the different types of uh, media that we have available um, access with our hands. I, th I think from my perspective, um, I think it's it's important that at least we try, um, if 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 we're writing a paper, that it's at least it's important to try to go back and at least make a quick acknowledgement. It doesn't have to be an extensive acknowledgement. It can even be you know this author in 2004, um, you know, um, um, uh, uh, added to the work that was previously done by this particular researcher in 1971. So at least... It's a breadcrumbs trail kind of. That's right, a little yeah. bit of a breadcrumb. It doesn't have to be a focus on that, because I agree with you. Um, th there's there's no need to uh, to go back and give every... I'm actually being honest with you, as a reviewer and as an editor or on the editorial board, sometimes I tell people, you got way too many references. <laughs> but at the same time, I also, you know, I'll call somebody and say, you know, the point that you're raising this person actually did several years ago, and I think it would be behoove you to at least make a quick reference to that person. Yeah. yeah. So the other thing you talk, a different kind of changing gears a little bit, another area you challenged the profession to grow was more PT to PT referral. Yes. And I don't think you cited hard evidence on this, but just no. sort of anecdotally, no. uh, you think it needs to improve. So, so give me some examples of, of why and, and why that's so important. Well, I mean, I think, I think it's important that we recognize just as in medicine, that it's very difficult for us to be as a generalist. That's one of the points that I raised in my lecture. Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, with the tremendous amount of information, the, 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 the overburdening amount of literature that's being published. I mean, when I started really getting interested in the foot and the ankle in 1980, well, 1979, there were two journals on the foot and the ankle. Now there are at least nine quality journals. Some, you know, some are not quality, but there are nine quality journals. For me to keep up with that literature is, and, and the two, and, if, and the two, like JOSPT or physical, the journal uh, PTJ, yeah. that's an incredible amount of time. So I think what, what, it, what it says is, is that it's, it's difficult for physical therapists to think that they can be a generalist and that they can't be afraid of, 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 of saying, you know, I want to refer you to somebody who has more expertise, just like you'd want your doctor to do that. Mm -hmm. um, I think, I think, and as I mentioned, I mean, most physical therapists, I think, are very strong in the areas of the spine, shoulder, and knee, because those are the areas that they see. But I could think in my area, there may be somebody that if you came to me and said, hey, Tom, I've got this particular knee problem or shoulder problem, I'd say, well, you know, these are the two or three therapists that I think you should see because they are the ones that I just know see a lot of that particular condition. I think that's what we probably need to, to focus on. And I do think a lot of that is at the, at, the entry, at the entry level we need to focus it because I understand you have a new graduate that comes out, um, they're probably a little intimidated just getting started in practice. And now all of a sudden that they want to go to a patient and say, I really don't think I should be treating you. Right, you know, so, right, right, right. so, you know, I think, but then hopefully they're in a, they're in a practice environment where there are others there 
that, and, and I think that's good because that's also how they're going to learn is to refer to someone. Part of the thing that I do think causes the problem is a lot of times I've had therapists tell me, well, when I refer to this individual, then they really don't give me any feedback back to what the, what, what, you know, what they found with this patient that I referred to, and that's not fair either. Okay. So that's where we have to do more of, you know, I hate to say developing a medical model, but developing that model of if I refer to you, then you get back to me and say, hey, thank you for the referral. This is what I found. You know, so we, we create that collegiality, I think. I think that's really important. You also talked about you really made a plug for residencies, and, and in doing that, you, you cited all the challenges for those, oh among yes. them lack of federal funding, Ugh. and obviously student loan debt, which yeah. is something that APTA's president done Monday night in her address to the House of Delegates really attacked. And, and, and one of the things she said was the cost of education itself is threatening not just, not I shouldn't even say just, not alone the, um, the, the ability to sort of live comfortably, but it's also threatening that desire to want to do secondary education, whether it's continuing education, whether it's membership, whether it's residency. Oh, it so anyway, so you've cited those. Why is residency so valuable though? Well, just because as I noted, um, having had the opportunity, we, we had, we have a fellowship program at Regis University, and I go in and I lecture, well, lecture to them, and I also see some patients with them, do some patient present, like patient rounds with them. Yeah. And th that opportunity to be able to have that, uh, that ability to be able to have that direct clinical, the patient contact, the patient is there, the, the fellow or the resident is doing that evaluation. I'm there to observe that and to watch that, to give that kind of feedback. Um, is, is just invaluable. And one of the dilemmas that we have with the way the current system for our clinical education model at the entry level is set up, when we're really asking most people to do that for free, there is difficulty in terms of how can I expect the clinician to say, well, I'd really like to spend more time, but I also have to treat so many patients so I can make ends meet in my clinic so I can continue to take your students. So I, I realize it's, it's not an easy answer, but I think that's something that we probably have to address. The other thing I think, and a lot of programs are doing this, is really questioning, and Sharon brought that up last night in your interview, uh, how many credit hours do we really need? Can we reduce the credit hours for programming? You know, you look at, it, 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 at certain other professions like speech pathology, I mean, they do their two years of, of coursework, then they get a, I think it's a provisional license, then they go out and actually practice for two years. They go and do almost like, granted it's an initial clinical step, like, like our clinic, but now they're into more of, it's towards the end, it's more like a residency fellowship type of training. So I think there's some options that we have to, that we can look at, but I would agree. I mean, the, 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 the cost, uh, when, when students come to me and say, I really want to do a residency or fellowship, but what I'm worried about is I have this debt, and I understand. But I tell them, I said, boy, if there's, th and that's where it's nice when we see some of these fellowship programs that allow people to stay in place. In other words, they're, on, they're partly online, but then they come in and do weekend in, or week intensives, those kinds of things. Because at least we're trying, at least you're trying to provide a model that allows that. And then the good thing is now with the internet, we can do these virtual rounds. Mm -hmm. So we're giving those opportunities, and I think we've got to continue to work with that, especially while we're tr trying to solve this whole issue of student loan debt, because it is a huge issue. Oh, man, huge. Yes. So, you know, you cited those challenges, and that's what the Macmillan Lecture is all about. Uh, but obviously, you, you do something like this, you keep showing up and doing stuff like this because you're passionate and you believe. So let's, let's step outside the lecture for a second and just mm -hmm. say, what gives you confidence? What gives you hope? When you look at your profession right now, when you see things happening, what kind of makes you feel very positive about the future of this profession? Oh, for I mean, I look at, first of all, where we were when I started when I came out. I mean, I, I, when, I, when I left Illinois in 1988, 
that was right when Illinois was trying to work to get direct access. As a matter of fact, the gentleman I just talked to coming down the stairs who said hello was Don Jackson, who was the president, and he ran sort of with a, a ticket, if you want to call it, to try to get direct access. And I'll tell you, I remember at the meeting, it was a divisive meeting. I mean, there were certain, no, we don't need that. There are others saying we do. And, you know, I think as I look at the uh, leadership that we've had, I look at the current leadership we have now with, with Sharon and, and the other board of directors, I mean, um, the new building. Mm -hmm. I mean, all these things to me um, just, I mean, they just permeate the, this idea that there's going to be growth. We're going to continue. Um, I, I, I think... You know, there's also uh, th this, we're, we're, we're making steps towards really becoming, to be considered a really a direct access provider. I mean, really be, con be considered a primary care provider, which is I think what we have to eventually work towards. And I think that will come. Um, I, I think as soon as we can get into a, a decent discussion of how do we really do cost-effective medicine, they're gonna realize the physical therapist is one of the most cost-effective avenues for whether it is individuals with ex extreme pain or um, individuals with uh, neuromusculoskeletal problems. Um, you know, why do they need all this expense when they go to certain other providers when we could easily help them and we're more than qualified to help them. So that's where I have the great faith. I mean, I, yeah, if the profession does even half as much as it's done in the last 45 years, oh my gosh, that's sky's awesome. the limit. Awesome, well thanks again, congratulations on, Thank on your you so lecture. And, and this is one of the amazing things that happens here next. If you were missed it, um, remember that PTJ will publish it in full later this year, so you'll be able to see it if you weren't here. We'll do other updates from next like this. I'm Jason Bellamy and I'll catch you later. Thanks for listening to this APTA podcast. APTA podcasts are available on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. You can also check out APTA's consumer podcast, Move Forward Radio. This is an APTA podcast.